We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states. And the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed at online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today at your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? <laughs> it's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for the 400th episode, my goodness, of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, well, I'll just come out and say it because you've uh, surely seen the name in the title already. Um, Jeff Van Gundy joined me for a conversation on this episode. And I have some thoughts about Mr. Van Gundy before I get to the interview with him, um, which I'll share in a moment. But before I even get to that, um, it just absolutely blows my mind that we have somehow put out 400 of these things. I was actually thinking about it this week. I, I will be very honest. It took me a minute to remember if this podcast has been going on for two or three years and um then I realized that we uh, did an emergency pod after the KP uh, trade, which is what jogged my memory that, wait, okay, Porzingis was traded uh, in January of uh, whatever it was, 2019. So obviously, uh, and I knew we started the pod in October. So uh, three years, I guess it has been. And uh it's wild. I remember the first episode that uh, obviously I had, I had no producer. Andrew hadn't yet come on. It was just, you know, I had called JB and was like, hey, I want to do a podcast. Uh, you have this Knicks film school thing. We should we should team up. And uh, the first episode that that I dropped, I didn't even promote it um, because the whole purpose for the episode was t- for me to figure out if I knew how to properly like upload the, the audio and like distribute it through whatever the hell website I was using at the time. And I, I'm the least tech savvy person in the world. So I just, I think I just talked into a microphone for like 10 minutes, called it episode one. And then when it successfully uploaded, I was like, okay, great. I hope no one ever hears this. And then, and then starting with episode two, I think episode two, me and JB probably had a conversation, which was actually, you know, hopefully half decent, but like, I had no idea what I was doing. So if anybody out there listening is like has started a podcast or is thinking about starting a podcast, uh, take it from me. Uh, you really don't need to know what you're doing at all to uh, to make one of these things uh, somewhat successful. And then, you know, we kind of grew over the course of time. And it's it's insane that I could sit here right now and, and introduce a conversation that I had uh, with Jeff Van Gundy uh, when early on, like, I don't even think I intended to get any big guests. And then I, I, th- that changed. So the old, the old heads will remember this one. Um, I was 
I listened to uh, a Bill Simmons podcast with uh, Howard Beck was the guest. And Howard Beck said something to the effect of he said a few not nice things about the Knicks. And then the thing that got me was he he said that Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract was terrible. But in the same podcast, he said that, that Danilo Gallinari's contract, who I think he was with the Clippers at the time, was not terrible. And I was I, I got after him on Twitter and I was like, you know, you should you know, if you want to if you want to have a debate about it, come on my podcast. And to his credit, he responded. He said, fine, name the time. And I remember I was shitting bricks before that. But we had a nice conversation um, and uh, I. uh ended up interviewing Howard again for another podcast later. He's, you know, for as much shit as he gets from Knicks fans, he's a really nice guy. And, and I appreciate that, uh, him coming on a nothing podcast. And it kind of gave me the confidence early on that like, wow, you know, I might be able to, to get some people who were, who are kind of names in this business. And, uh, Chris Herring, who was on last week, uh, he was an early big guest and, uh, you know, they, kind of started to come more and more over the years. And then obviously Mike Breen um, was uh, on for episode 300, which was incredibly special for me. And uh, now, you know, it's a good transition because Jeff Van Gundy. So obviously there are more, there are more famous people in Nick's history than Jeff Van Gundy. Um, Walt Frazier, obviously Willis Reed, uh, Patrick Ewing, as far as the players go, um, I would even say, you know, he wasn't here for as long, um, but because he's such an overarching figure in NBA history, um, especially recent NBA history of the last 20 years, I, you know, Pat Riley is probably a, a bit of a, you know, a, he's certainly a bigger name nationally as far as basketball is concerned. Um, Mike Breen is, you know, is is on par with anyone um, and obviously, again, that that was incredibly special. But for me, I, I'm not sure that there's ever been anyone out there in the Knicks universe that I wanted to talk to more than Jeff Van Gundy. And there are a couple reasons for that. Three reasons. I'll go through them quickly and then we'll we'll get to my actually converse, my actual conversation. Um, the first reason is purely because. You know, uh, I I think anyone within a couple years of my age, you know, that's I'm 38. It was right around that sweet spot. You know, the it was the second half of the 90s. There were really two like people refer to the 90s Knicks. There were really two iterations of the 90s Knicks. There were the first half of the 90s and then there were the second half of the 90s. And Jeff Van Gundy was kind of like Riley going out. And then obviously we had the Don Nelson, whatever it was, 50 some odd games. Maybe it was actually more, more than 60. Um, a brief interlude. And then Jeff came and, and that was kind of the line of demarcation. But for for someone who so I'm again, I was born in 83. Uh, Jeff took over uh, about two thirds, three quarters of the way through the 95, 96 season. So I was I think I was about to turn 13 um, when he took over as head coach. And, and to me, like everybody's different. But I think right around that age, as far as I'm concerned, that's when you're really because you, you're 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 old enough to really, I think, understand the sports sports more than if you're like eight, nine, 10, but you're not so old, you know, late teens, maybe twenties to be already kind of jaded. And it's like, it's really, it's hitting the sweet spot. So when I think of like Nick's memories that will forever live in my head, there are a couple that come before Jeff took over as coach. Um, obviously the 94 finals, um, the finger roll. Uh, but other than those, and, and sorry that I, I should, probably add eight points and 8.9 uh, seconds. So oddly enough, mostly bad memories. <laughs> uh, it's funny how that works out. Um, I guess Ewing, Ewing, you know, taking the team to the finals. I remember that game seven pretty well too, but anyway, I digress. Um, the, the, the other huge one um, or a huge one, I should say, and it'll always be a top 10 one for me. And we talk about it in this episode is his second game as head coach. Um, which was a 32 point win over the, what I still consider to be the greatest team of all time, the 72 win bulls. And I just, I remember even after the bulls uh, beat them in five games in the second round of the playoffs that year, 
I, I, it's almost like I didn't care because I knew that we would always have that 32 point win over them and they would never be able to take that away, uh, from us. And then from there, it was just, you know, I, I, I know where I was when I saw Jeff Van Gundy hanging on Alonzo Mourning's leg. Uh, I was in Yankee Stadium uh, with my dad about to watch a Yankee game. Uh, and I'll, I'll just never forget that. Or in the midst of a Yankee game, probably. Uh, but we were in, like, I think it was the Pinstripe Pub. It was at the old stadium. And uh, they had the game on TV. And I, just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, so, you know, there's that. Um the suspensions, which we get into in a fair amount of detail um, on this on this uh, episode, and Jeff is uh, I, I give him a lot of he well I'll let I'll let him tell it to you. Um, so we get into those, and then of course ninety nine, and you know everybody has their team that means the most to them. For a lot of our younger listeners, it's probably the two thousand twelve thirteen season. Uh, there may be some people for whom it is. The season that we just experienced, uh, some of the older heads might be 93, 94 for some of our really older heads. It might be, you know, one of the championship teams for me. I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter to me what they do for the rest of my lifetime. The 99 team will always be. That's my sweet spot. That's the team that that will I will always remember. And it's crazy because, you know, midway through that year. Um, it's funny enough. We just had, you know, Dan Grunfeld on, uh, Ernie Grunfeld, the GM of the team was fired, you know, after whatever it was, I forget how many games, but not long into the year, like midway through. And there were all the rumors about, you know, the Knicks wanted to hire Phil Jackson. And, uh, it's funny because, you know, you can even think back to these, these playoffs, like coach Bud with the Bucks, you know, if, if Kevin Durant's, uh, shoe is a little smaller, um, you know, he probably loses his job and now he's an NBA champion. And with Jeff Van Gundy, I wonder, you know, if that Allen Houston shot doesn't go in, does, you know, does, does he come back and return as coach the next season? I, I didn't ask him that. Um, but I, I, I just, you know, I wonder, but they did, it did go in and they did beat Miami and then they whitewashed Atlanta and then the Pacers series. And then unfortunately they ran into, um, a roadblock that was a little too big in the form of Tim Duncan and, and David Robinson and the San Antonio Spurs. Um, and then there was that season after. And, you know, it's funny, the 2000 playoffs gets lost in a lot of people's memories. But that team, like, I, again, I know they were probably weren't championship caliber, but that second round series against the Heat with that they won in seven games. Um, another one, that game seven, I'll always remember. That was as as tough and as hard fought a series as they ever played, as far as I'm concerned, through that entire Ewing era. Uh, and then again, ran into the Pacers. Pacers were a little bit of a better team and uh, lost that that Eastern Conference Finals. Yet another Eastern Conference Finals for for Jeff Van Gundy. And then the following year, you know, the, obviously they traded Ewing that offseason. It was the it was the Glenn Rice Ewing or Glenn Rice uh, Sprewell Allen Houston trio uh, trio that would look great in the modern modern game. It was a little ahead of its time then. Uh, went up two zero against the Raptors in the playoffs and then lost the last three. And I think the writing was kind of on the wall. Um, and it's funny if you go back and look at that season, they were the Knicks were like third fourth in the East for a lot of that year, and then. They ended up, I think, falling to falling to fourth in the playoffs, and then they, yeah, they or I forget if it was fourth or fifth, but it was a four five matchup with Toronto, and then and then Toronto got them, um, you know, and then next season started out, uh, and I believe they were ten and nine, and Jeff just kind of knew, and uh, he obviously parted ways with the organization and. Uh, I can't think of how many times over the years where we all wished we could have him back. Um, so to to and this this gets to, you know, the other reasons why this was was special to me. Um, the, the second reason is because I just I have so much respect for him and um, he is to me the embodiment of what a coach is, um, what a leader is. Um, and, and the third reason, and it's kind of related to the second one is to me, like, you're not going to find a more 
New York guy than Jeff Van Gundy because to me, New York is about just absolutely consistently being told, you know, you're not good enough or you can't do this or someone else is better and just absolutely having the attitude like, no, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is my job. I'm going to do it and I'm going to succeed at it. And Jeff Van Gundy did that better than anyone in any walk of life that I could think of in my lifetime. He just refused to be defeated. Um, And he was an inspiration for me growing up. I think he was an inspiration for a lot of Nick fans. Uh, You looked at the bags under his eyes and, and I, I, it's just, this man knew this was his chance in basketball, um, a chance that he had waited for his whole life. And he was just going to work as hard as he could to make sure that he made the most of it. And that's why, you know, aside from the fact that those teams, I think every single one of the teams he coached went as far as, as any coach could have taken them. But putting even that aside, every Nick fan who ever watched that team play a game, a game under Jeff Van Gundy is forever indebted to him and will forever respect him. And honestly, will forever love him. You know, the true diehards because they knew that he cared more than anyone. And that to me is the mark of a champion. Um, Might sound a little hokey, but, and yeah, okay. He doesn't have a ring. He's a champion in my book. Um, and, uh, I promise I'm not just saying that because he was kind enough to, to join me for this episode. So, um, that's all I want to say about Jeff. Uh, and last thing, uh, before I get to, um, the actual conversation, I'm going to save, I have some, some, some thoughts, uh, and, and words I'd like to share with, uh, about Jeremy, but I'll, I'll wait until he's, he's on with me for the, for the Sunday episode. But I I do just want to say a very quick word. Um, like I said a moment ago, I didn't know my ass or my elbow when I first started doing this. And now 400 episodes in, we're, we're, uh, something of a professional, uh, organization. And that is due purely 1000% to Andrew Claudio, um, who, came on as uh, my producer. I don't know exactly when uh, I want to say it was again, it's gosh, the, the time really does run together. Has it been a couple of years, Andrew? You'll have to text me after you you're editing this to remind me. I think it was like in the late fall. In any case, um, I don't know where I'd be without Andrew. He is the best podcast producer in the business. Um, He's the hardest worker I know, uh, much like Jeff Van Gundy himself. And uh, I just wanted to shout out Andrew because he has taken uh, this thing to levels, uh, the likes of which I, I, I never could have envisioned. So shout out to Andrew Claudio. What can I say except you're welcome? Uh, I think that's it. Um, this one's for you guys. Um, I started this podcast because I wanted a a. I wanted a better podcast for Nick fans like me. And uh, I hope that I have provided that over the years. And uh, here's the 400 more. Um, but first, here's my interview with Jeff Van Gundy. Joining me now on the Nick's Film School podcast. Um, he is the only man in history to take an AC to the NBA Finals. Uh, winning seasons in 10 of his 11 campaigns as head coach, four times coached a team to 50 wins, and he is in the top 50 all time amongst NBA head coaches in wins, win percentage, and of course, playoff wins. More important than any of that, if you ask any Knicks fan who they think of when they hear the words Knicks head coach, if they're between the ages of 25 and 55, his face is going to show up in their mind. Um, welcome to the show, Jeff Van Gundy. Well, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure uh, and an honor uh, for someone who, um, like many Knicks fans in the city, grew up uh, rooting for the teams that you coached and kind of um, learning what it was to be a Knicks fan uh, based on uh, how you led those teams and and what you did and what you were able to accomplish. Um, so I want to kind of get right into it because, you know, you, it's very it's interesting to talk to you because you you have this place in New York lore. But at the same time, you're one of the best um, basketball minds analyzing the sport today. And uh, when I was just thinking about, you know, what you're best known for, 
um, the whole run here, but I think the 99 team holds a special place. And, you know, we're coming off this very magical season, 2021 here with obviously Tom and what he was able to accomplish, winning coach of the year, Julius Randle, the whole group. I'm curious if as you were watching, and I know you pay close attention to the team still, you saw some similarities maybe between what they did last year and, you know, that kind of out of the blue 99 season. Not, you know, obviously there's some differences, but I'm curious if, if those two things ever clicked for you. Well, it really didn't because I think um, the difference is the 99 team was uh, a, a, a talented team that for many reasons started off slowly, you know, Ewing's injuries, Spreewell's injury, a lot of change, whatever it may be. Right. I thought what the Knicks did great last year, you know, and I, and uh, Tom Thibodeau and Andy Greer are two of my best friends. So I watch, you know, every game that I can, I, I thought they, they got more out of their team on over the course of the 72 games uh, than anybody else. I, I thought I give credit to the players and to the coaches because they came to play. They played with energy. They played tremendous defense on a marginally talented offensive team. Like, um, you know, they shot the three so much better than I think anybody could have expected or hoped. And I just think like their achievements in the regular season, unfortunately, set them up for. Um, disappointment in the playoffs because then everybody's locked in and Atlanta had so much more, you know, offensive uh, gifts than the Knicks team did, you know, so uh, by seed, it was an upset, but by talent, it's really what it should have happened. Uh, I'm actually just hearing you talk about that. I'm wondering if really the, the, maybe the better way to phrase it was if last year was kind of like the inverse of 99, because I'm wondering, do you, I mean, Miami certainly didn't take you lightly in 99 because you had been through the wars and they knew what they were getting into and talk about throwing seed out the window. It, you know, it was Miami and New York, whereas, you know, last season, the expectations, at least nationally for the Knicks, I think a lot of people picked them over Atlanta. Um, I'm wondering back, back when you went on that run, do how did expectations after, like you said, a down regular season play into the success of that playoff team or, or did it not play in at all? Do you think? Well, I think what happened um, in 99 was um, I think Spreewell played the first game. You, you could ke- check this, but I think then he missed and it was 50 games. So then he missed yeah. 13, right? Straight. I think he had a stress fracture. So uh and then Ewing was sort of in and out all year. You know, he just never felt right. And, we, you know, I screwed some things up early, I think. Uh, I think some players were playing below whatever their uh, talent level was. But we had a win in Miami, I think, that galvanized us. We were down uh, big early. We came back. We won. And that propelled us the rest of the regular season. We played well. And I think if that 50-game season – had been a normal 82 game season, we would have been in that, you know, 45 to 50 win range. Um, And so for Miami, unfortunately, uh, they got a team that was just as good as them. And they knew that. I mean, that wasn't like there was any major secrets. They had some real strengths. We had some strengths. And, um, you know, fortunately for us, you know, we were able to prevail um, you know, on the road uh, in a game, you know, deciding game. And I just think like, you know, I think that's where the talent level was even like um, even Indiana, when we played them, um, like they had more talent than we did, but we didn't have, you know, because we had been in the playoffs and had success. Um, there wasn't a like where we felt like we were, you know, not as good or couldn't overcome whatever cropped up. I mean, we had a, a veteran, tough-minded, talented team. And so I think what the Knicks of last year had was an inexperienced playoff team uh, that, you know, if you don't have enough offensive talent, particularly off the dribble, it's really hard to score in the playoffs. And, you know, 
So some guys who played and had tremendous regular seasons, you know, their playoff efficiency, starting with Randall, yep. you know, went down. And, and so that's what they've got to try to figure out, you know, and I, I don't want any Nick fan, if they are a lower seed this year than they were last year, to think, think of that as regression. I think they made, like, they jumped far above their weight class last year um, in seed than their talent would indicate. And so I, I would expect that with the Eastern Conference being a little bit better, um, you know, and the Knicks had great health last year as well. Yes. You know, I just think, you know, as Nick fans, which we all are, <laughs> we have to make sure we don't think because they were four seed last sure. year, yeah. we're going to move up to third or second. You know, I mean, that's, they got to get more talent. You nailed it. Um, and you, you're, you're consistent about this. Anytime you talk about, you know, this, it, it, it ultimately, you know, comes down to, it comes down to the talent. Um, I almost came on here and said the greatest coach in Nick's history, but I knew you'd fight me on that. I didn't. However, yeah, you didn't get to coach five. Future, you, you, you didn't get to coach five, five future hall of famers. Well, Monroe came later for, for red, um, but you did but have me, a great, let me say this though. And I, yeah. I love the, the whole hall of fame with coaches. Like, uh, yeah, it, it sort of drives me crazy. Right. Because like, I, I was thinking a lot about coming on your, your show today and, you know, when you're, when you're going to go and talk about the Knicks, you start thinking about, um, you know, those times and even the people that came before you. Sure. And the one thing I loved about Red Holtzman, and he was a consultant when I was an assistant yeah. there, uh, and even at the start of my head coaching, what I loved about him is he was so humble. He knew that great players make great coaches, yeah. not the other way around. It's not. Um, there are a lot of Hall of Fame players in every sport who didn't have, quote, the greatest coaches of sure. all time. But there are no co coaches in any Hall of Fame that don't have their name attached to great players. It just, you know, great players make great coaches, not the other way around. And I think Red, mentioning them, the humility that he had about that, um, is something I was always drawn to. And you are, I mean, there's so many ways that you are the quintessential, um, you are the soul of the city and, and how you go about your business and how you talk about um, past, present. Um, and that's just, your humility is one of the many things. I, I am I am curious because, you know, Tom, as you already alluded to, got so much out of that group. Um, perhaps, and I'm, I'm wondering, is there a part when you're a coach and you get to, and again, I don't know maybe if you did any of this before the 99 playoff run, if you get to go to your guys and say, nobody thinks anything of us. And Tom could literally point to the over under, and I don't know if he did before, for, before the season and say, they're picking us last, not last in the division, not last in the conference, last in the whole league. Do, can you, can, do you utilize that um, when you have it? I think those type of motivations are very short term. Okay. Before an individual game, I think, you know, at, you know, if you pick your spots, right, you can use something to up the level of intensity for an individual game. But overall, I think what teams become is number one, their habits, whatever your habits are. And I think the Knicks had really good habits last year. Um, defensively. I think they played to their strengths offensively. Like I said, I thought they shot the ball well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the second thing is um, you have to find self-motivated players. There are no, there's not 82 games of Newt Rockney speeches to try <laughs> to drive and elicit yeah. a response. If you need that, you got the wrong guys. Okay. I think what an undersold part of their success last year was Leon Rose having a long-standing relationship with Tom and allowing Tom to be Tom um, and coach in the manner in which he's had all this success. You see so many times now where whoever hires the coach in any sport tries to cherry pick 
and say, yeah, I like these qualities, um, but I don't like these. And I'm going to try to change this guy. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work. When you hire somebody, you have to let them work. And you have to let them coach with confidence. Just like we say players have to play with confidence. There are so many management people now that suck the confidence out of coaches. Um, And I think what Leon Rose did brilliantly last year, because I think he has an appreciation for how hard coaching is. Sure. And he has an appreciation for how much time Tom and his staff invest in trying to be the best they can. Is he let him coach to his personality? And he wasn't saying, hey, don't yell so much at the referees on the (laughs) sideline. And, oh, you're being, you know, you're you're calling out defensive coverages too loud and you look too gruff and, you know, like sowing the seeds of doubt, which so many people do now, right? And so because Leon uh, willingly took a step back to let Tom be along with Randall, the face of the franchise, I think people are missing out on so many things that Leon and Tom did so well together. Um, You talk about synergy. It's hard to create. It's hard to keep in New York. Um, And I think. Why is that in New York specifically? Because it does seem harder here to have sustained success. You know, it shouldn't be. Uh, (laughs) It shouldn't be. But in a perfect world. (laughs) But I think what happens a lot of times, unfortunately, is people start to run towards credit and run away from responsibility and blame. And when I, and I don't, I don't say that's just one. I mean, it's all factions, unfortunately. Um, And I think what you have to do as a coach is what, or what you want is the ability to coach your team uh, in the best way you see fit. Um, now, so many of these, they, they actually want to be co-coaches without the responsibility of the results and, and tell you who to play, how to play, when to play, when to practice. No, you're playing them too many minutes. Leon didn't get involved in any of that. Like, not one time did you, did you hear him say, mumble, um, you know, Randall played 38 minutes last night. Or, you know, and guess what? If they don't play those minutes, guess where you see your Knicks? Not winning. Not in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh. And so I, yeah. I, I loved the way they worked together last year. And I, I think they should both take a bow um, because I'm sure they didn't like always agree with everything the other did, but they acknowledged like how good each, each one is at their job and let each other do their jobs and hats off to them for that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
What's going on? I'm Andrew Claudio. And I'm Bernard Ozerowski. And this is our brand new movie podcast, Final Review. Each week, we'll pick a different movie that is widely considered one of the greatest of all time. And determine just how great it actually is using 10 different top five lists. For example, The Dark Knight might be great, but is it even a top five Christopher Nolan film? Or Blade Runner might be an all-timer, but is it even a top five Harrison Ford performance? At the end, we'll add up the movie's total score. And see once and for all where it lands on the all-time Pantheon scale. Let us know how much you agree or disagree with our rankings. You can follow the show on all social media platforms by searching Final Review Pod. New episodes drop every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, and all the other major podcast streaming sites. Final Review, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Subscribe now wherever podcasts are available. Knicks basketball is finally back, and there is no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Knicks tickets anymore. TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you could find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. I know with the real games around the corner, while I am, of course, excited about every Knicks game, I think I'm most excited to see how the Knicks do in a rematch at home against the Atlanta Hawks. Seeing Trey Young take a bow on the court last season was not something I took kindly to, so I feel like that is one game I may need to be there in person for to show just how much I disapprove of his antics. If you would like to go root against Trey Young or any of the other Knicks opponents this year, visit TickPick.com slash Film School today and use the promo code Film School to save $10 on your first order of Knicks tickets. One more time, visit TickPick.com slash FilmSchool today and use the promo code FilmSchool to save $10 on your first order of Nick's tickets. Well, you you talk about trust and I, I wonder how much of trust is trusting that even though the, the person is not doing the thing that if it was you, you'd be doing being big enough, really, if I think is what you're saying to step back and say, okay, you know, I, it's it's not what I would do here, but there's there's the trust factor, and it's going to go longer than if I step in. And I'm, you know, I'm just listening to you talk about that. And, and it, can it I make, say something on please, that? Please, yeah, yeah, and and acknowledging that the other guy is more of an expert than you are <laughs> in that area. In that area, yes. so yeah, so Tom studies coaching as much as anyone has ever studied coaching, like <laughs> like. You know, he's not only a brilliant coach, but he could go through seriously. If you asked him a Belichickian question about the 60 Celtics, he could give you the history of the league. You know, like he's that type of like yeah. mind. Well, I wonder where he got it from. But. Yeah. And then I think, <laughs> and then I think Tom even though he might like, and I'm, I don't have a specific example because, you know, I don't really speak to him about that stuff. Um, I'm sure he, he had some example that he could say, yeah, I don't agree with either bringing that guy in, letting that guy go, drafting this, whatever it may be, right? Sure, yeah. But acknowledging that's that man's responsibility and that's what he's been studying <laughs> since he's took over. And I think the acknowledgement of where your expertise lies and where it doesn't lie is critical in in maintaining uh, a harmony and a trust. What happens oftentimes now is there's certain management people and certain coaches that think they have um, great knowledge on everything, even outside of their, you know, area of expertise. Their purview, sure. That to me is where so many of these conflicts unfortunately come in i i wonder you know you you mentioned buy-in before that that tom got that buy-in doesn't it have to go hand in hand with with players seeing that he has been given the longest leash that he like it's it's your it's your it's your job go go and do it 
um, as opposed to I wonder sometimes in certain situations around the NBA where you have these teams that maybe, you know, and, and look, let's just call it like it is for a long time. It was the Knicks who don't achieve success. It, do you think it's because players see that that trust does not exist and that, well, if the guy up top doesn't trust the, the person who's telling me what to do, why should I listen to the person who's telling me what to do? Well, I think the first reason teams fail is because they're not, they don't have good enough players. It's not good. That's yes. why, <laughs> yeah. And that's why the person, the most important person in a franchise um, isn't, is the owner because the owner is going to select whoever's in charge of picking the players. Yeah. And then that guy is the second most important person in the, in the franchise because who picks the players it is that's going to determine the trajectory of a, a team. And then, you know, then there, everybody's important, but so what I'm, what I'm saying is I, but once you have like, you know, talent that's in the ballpark, mm -hmm. whether you achieve more than maybe people expect or less, I think a lot of it is what you just said. Like, do we trust him? when he doesn't do things the way that I would. And the biggest example in the Knicks that I can remember is when Phil Jackson took over. <laughs> it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the triangle um, that couldn't work. First of all, they didn't have good enough players. No. Um, but like he should have like coached the team. Like, mm. Because he, he had very specific thoughts on how they should play, right? And um, I just think it's really hard to coach well when you can't coach to whatever you think is, you know, the right way to play. Whether it's pl playing certain players, um, whether playing style, um, rotation of 9, 10, 8, 7, 11, whatever it may be. Um, and, and that's what's so different now about coaching in the NBA. I got to say, when I, I worked both in New York and in Houston, there wasn't unanimity about everything I ever did, right, from above me, like without question. And, and, and they would come to me and tell me that, right? It's not like they wouldn't discuss it, but at sure. in the end of the day, you were allowed to coach to your beliefs because what's impossible coaching in the NBA is when players know, uh, like you mentioned before, that there's not a trust and that you're sort of a, not a puppet, but like you're yeah. not controlling the shots. And then secondarily that you don't believe in, in necessarily what you're doing, what you're doing. Well, you know, like it just doesn't work. You, you know, on that note, uh, I would argue that you walked into I, I, a couple of, I have to ask a couple of things about the old days before I let you go. You, had, you knew I was going to, you walked into as difficult a situation as there was um, putting aside the fact that you didn't have a healthy team when you took over in um, the 95, 96 season. I, I looked it up. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was misreading. You had to start Herb Williams alongside Patrick Ewing in your first game, the only time they ever started a game together because you didn't have Oak. You, you know, we, we, that was still a stupid decision. <laughs> no, I should have started JRE. I still kicked myself. Well, you, you changed that at the next game. Re, I, re, I, yeah. I just woke up in the morning and Ernie knocked on my door and said, you're coaching the team tonight. And I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I had a maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half before shoot around. The good part is I, I did all the scouting reports back then and all the, yes. you know, walkthroughs. So I was ready from a presentation standpoint. Okay. But I mean, come on, man, what a stupid decision that was. <laughs> and that's nothing on Herb. Like, no, no, of course not. Food centers, right? Yeah. Um, so I should have started J.R. Reed. And I, I think the next game we played the Bulls, I think. Well, that's when. I think we. I think we did start JRE, did we not in that game? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it uh, led to a 32 point win over what many people still consider the greatest team of all time. I'll say this that bus ride from Philadelphia 
back to uh, New York. Mm-hmm. That's back when we didn't charter like from like, I don't even know why we chartered to Philly uh, <laughs> now, but you know, so anyway, we took a bus and uh, I was like sitting there saying to myself the whole way back, you know, I may never win a game because Philly, <laughs> Philly was awful. They were, they were like 10 or they had like a, a low window. They, no, they were awful. Like, and you know what's funny? You know, it was on that staff. Who? Thibodeau. Oh my goodness. That's right. John Lucas, Ron Adams. I mean, what a, they had a great coaching staff and an awful team. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, yeah, so that, it was very, uh, that's what's humbling about coaching though, right? Sure, yeah. Like, you know, you can lose to a, a terrible team and then you can beat an all-time great team. And, and you know, like, I was so fortunate. Sometimes you're not fortunate when you take over a team being the assistant and moving into a head coaching job because, you know, things can be, things can get murky. You know, you're like, sure. as a head coach, your responsibilities have changed. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, people can't adjust to the changes, either coaches or players, right? And so I had such great guys, right? They weren't easy, but they were great competitors. And I I think like, I was so blessed. When you have a a Hall of Famer uh, like Patrick, right? Mm -hmm. He covers up so many mistakes that you make as a young coach um, because he's just so good that after the game, the only one that knows that you made the mistakes and got away with it is yourself, your staff, their, their head coach and their staff. Right. Okay. And it's like, that's what happens. But I had great competitors. You know, you mentioned Patrick Oakley was out, but a great competitor. Uh, Mason, uh, God bless his soul. Yeah. Um, an amazing competitor, Starks, Harper, Ward, like, we weren't super talented at that point on the perimeter as far as, you know, that's why we went out and Ernie got Ernie and Dave got, um, Alan and Chris. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and so we added to that and Larry John, you know, all those great moves that came uh, about, but at that point, like what I did have, man, I had an all time great in Patrick and I had all time great, great competitors. Um, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you. Last one before I let you go. Um, you mentioned Patrick, um, you mentioned the talent that you, you, the team went out and got, um, after you were uh, eliminated, you know, that, that first season, um, and the series against, you know, I think about your career. What if Patrick hadn't gotten hurt in 99? What if you had just one healthy season with Yao and Tracy together, which again, we don't have to, you know, I'll save that for some Houston podcast, I guess. But I think a lot of Knicks fans still think of the 90, the night. And I know you said the 92, 93 team, I think was the most talented, but the, the 96, 97 team um, and the suspensions, I, I went back and I was looking over old box scores. You guys were up in the middle of that fourth quarter. And then Miami, and this is back in the days for any of our younger listeners, when you could go a whole game without hitting five three-pointers. And they had five three-pointers in six minutes, the last of which was by Alonzo freaking morning. No, no, that's the one. See, you have Nick knowledge that you know that morning hit the back-breaking three. Yeah. See, that's what people, they don't really know when they, like, think back. He hit one all year. One. And, And it was from the top of the key. And I'll tell you this, though. It was a loss, and then we got, unfortunately, pounded. And I'm not sure what we had, you know, left going down there. Um, But it was a – it was a – that was a high, high high-level team that we had. And we were really good. I mean, really good. And Allen was playing at a terrific level, and he gave us something that we had never had. If we had it in, you know, 90 – Anywhere in that, uh, in the Pat Riley years. Sure. I think we're a championship team. Like even, even having to play the bulls, because again, going back to those teams, same with the Knicks last year, if you can't go off the dribble yep. and get your own shot, that's why I don't buy in all this, 
you know, the mid range is, is not important. It is in the playoffs. You've got to be able to get uh, uh, your own shot. Look uh, at the finals last year. The Suns were Devin Booker, Chris Paul. I mean, he's, he's no, you need it. You, you can't just say we're going to, we're going to stay behind the three and we're going to shoot layups. Like you don't get layups against great defensive no. teams, you know, and great defensive teams don't foul a lot either. So, Anyway, the point is, is like, that was a great team. It was still, uh, I, I, what boggles my mind is, and this is not sour grapes. This is actual, like unbiased, the, uh, the, you know, to suspend Charlie Ward, John Wallace, all those guys who came on the floor. That's our fault as, as coaches and as players, we deserve what we got. Sure. To suspend Patrick yes. was vengeful. He did nothing. He took one step on the floor and looked. That, that, that's, it, I don't know why they, they took like perverse pride in yes. doing that, but they did. And uh, it, was, it was unfortunate. But, um, you know, I, I'll always say this about Ewing um, and that group. We did not win a championship. But they competed as champions, um, both practice, preparation, in games. There was very few times as as the coach of that group um, or as assistant coach uh, previous to that, that I ever thought like, you know what? The fans got cheated today. They didn't bring them. That doesn't mean we always played well or won, but they they played to a standard uh, that – there was great level of pride, just like it, it, it shows in how, how deeply you cared. And when I look over your left shoulder and see, go New York, go New York, go, there was never a better song ever created nope. in-house than that. I was talking to Steve Kerr about, <laughs> we were at the Olympics together um, this year. You know, he was an assistant coach. I was a scout for the Olympic team. Yep. And that song came up. Oh, my goodness. Yes, because there was no song in the fourth quarter that was ever played that elicited such response. Like it was like it's still if I when I ever hear it, it, it makes the, the hair on my arm stand up. It was that electric. You're, you're not the only one. Um, I'll just end by saying you're, you guys, um, you're champions in the hearts of uh, anyone who was lucky enough to watch you. And that was that's that's and I'll just add that's before the last 20 years. We I, I'd like to think that, you know, people may have had their quibbles, but I, I could speak for myself and everybody I know. We appreciated it in the moment. And um, God, we loved you then and we love you now. And uh, I just on behalf of the fan base, because they'll get angry at me if I don't say it. Uh, thank you just for being you. And uh, again, embodying the spirit of the city and just given us something to be proud of, not only then, but even to this day that you're still, you know, you're the face of the NBA in a lot of ways alongside, um, you know, Mike, Mike Breen. Um, I mean, when you turn on a game, it's like, if it's a big game, who are you going to see? You're going to see Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy. And the fact that you guys are both Knicks, um, it's just, I can't describe that level of pride. And uh, so just on behalf of everybody. I got a question for you. Sure. Do you consider Mark Jackson a pacer or a Nick? You want the honest answer? Yeah, no, honest. Uh, pacer. He'll yeah, always be a too. pacer. Yeah, me too. The shimmy. I wonder, he, he, he I was, wonder what he considers himself, though. That's that would be interesting for me. But I, I would suspect he would consider himself a pacer. He, when you take that level of pride in the shimmy, he knew the dagger was going in every time he did that, and he, it seemed like he enjoyed it. Maybe he didn't, but it sure seems like he he enjoyed it when he got. You to know when it. he would do that airplane. Oh my God. Right. I, I said, I say to him all the time, there were so many times he'd be flying that airplane and I would just like to like smack him. <laughs> like, and as much as I liked him from when I was an assistant coach and, and I loved him and I, you know, you know, just a great man that what a career he's had. Yes, but, of course. You know, like I just, those Pacer games, you know, that I, we talk often, and I know we're running long, but like no, it's fine. that that four those four teams in that time of the Eastern Conference. Oh my goodness! Pacers, Bulls, and Knicks. 
man, like Tom, you should get Tom talking about that. He has a story oh, about <laughs> Jerry Tarkanian, right? Who he, Who he was an assistant under at San Antonio. At San Antonio, his first games. assistant job. Yeah. 20 games, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, they stayed close. And when the summer league was in Vegas, when we'd go out there, Tom would arrange. So we'd eat dinner with uh, uh, Coach Charkanian. And he would always talk about when it was those like series, he, because it was the West Coast, say yeah. the game was starting 7.30 here, 4.30 out in Vegas. He would get his TV tray and set it up early before the game, get an early dinner set right from, and just sit back and watch because he enjoyed it so much. So he would tell Tom that. So like when I'd go out there, he had better recall. Tark, Tark had better recall the game sometimes than I did. You know, like it was like, but anyway, like the coaching and like, think about it. It was uh, Larry Brown. Yeah. Early with the Pacers. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, and then Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Pretty good coach. Right? Uh, coach Jackson, who's like, you know, forget his Nick time, but like, I, I still don't think he's ever gotten uh, the credit he deserves as a, as a coach. I, I, I thought he was brilliant. You know, everybody talks triangle, but I thought defensively he got those guys to play, um, you know, and then, um, you know, coach Riley in Miami, like Tom always said, you better bring it in those games as a coach and as a player, or you're going to get your ass whipped. And, and he's so, he, he was so right. And it was like, it was, it was, it was such great competition. So it wasn't just in the playoffs. I just, yeah, um, it was, yeah, it was great. And um, I think good times are ahead for the Knicks. Now I'm, I'm so happy for Tom. Um, it's been his dream. I remember when I, when he was working uh, as an assistant with the Knicks in the nineties, his parents would, and, and brothers, brothers would often train down from New Britain, Connecticut, all the way to the garden for a game and then train all the way home. I mean, this is a diehard Nick guy from birth to, to be able to lead your team. Um, and like he did last year, win coach of the year, man, I'm pumped. I'm all in on these Knicks. Um, I'm all in on Tom. Um, and again, just one more time, uh, all in on you. You're just, you. you're absolutely a legend. You're just, I, 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 I could sit here and talk about this obviously for a long time, but you have things to do a uh, season to get to his media day. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time and, and thank you for everything that you've done. Anytime. Take care. I appreciate, appreciate it, Jeff. Be well. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that spot with my favorite coach of any sport ever, uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, I, I didn't want to spoil too much of it in the intro, but uh, I, I feel comfortable and confident saying that everybody who just listened to that got something out of it. Uh, he is an absolute gem and uh, just really, again, honored to have been able to talk to him. So that is it. 400 in the books. Uh, we will be back with uh, a, another regular episode, 401, as it were. Uh, me and Jeremy will be back. Uh, that'll drop uh, its usual time on uh, Sunday or, I guess, Monday at midnight. Uh, and as always, please... If you like the podcast, if you liked this podcast, uh, if you like any of our podcasts, uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate it, review it. Uh, these are the little things that really help us uh, do the work that we do. And we are truly appreciative of everybody who takes the time to, uh, again, give us a rating and drop a review. Uh, also, don't forget, as always... Nick's Film School YouTube channel will have a post game live uh, after uh, every preseason game and, of course, after every regular season game. And then we'll flip those into podcasts as well if you can't join us live. So, uh, all your Nick's content right here in one place Nick's Film School. Thanks for listening.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.